Good evening. Welcome to the spin class. We are talking politics on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com or JMInTheAM.org. I'm your host, Jacob Kornblow, filling in for Michael Fragan, who is going to join us on the air shortly. We are also proud to be sponsored by Seasons Supermarkets. Seasons locations are in Queens, 6818 Main Street, and 1066 Wilmot Road in Scarsdale. And on the west side at 6061 Amsterdam Avenue are all open to serve you. The new Lawrence Superstore is under renovation, but until then, Seasons makes deliveries all day to the five towns. Call in your order, 516-295-3300. That's 516-295-3300. Or email lawrenceorders at seasonsny.com. And stop in tonight for Mechis Cholent, open until midnight. Now, there's a lot of um, stuff going on on the mayoral race. I'm sure you're all tuned in and know what's happening. We have 11 or 12 candidates running to take over Gracie Mansion. Recently, Anthony Weiner joined the race, and he has since gained traction as a celebrity. The media is running after him. People are stopping him on the streets for autographs. Uh, the New York Times even had a critical article today um, looking at his accomplishments in Congress. Not so impressive. They say he's all talk, and I would advise you to read that extensive article if you are considering to support any of the candidates. Just look at their record, look at their promises, and you decide whom to support for mayor. Now, we will speak later on with Ezra Friedlander, CEO of the Friedlander Group, who is going to explain to us his op-ed that he penned this week in support of Christine Quinn. He is, as of now, the first Orthodox Jew calling publicly to support Christine Quinn in the Democratic primaries. And, of course, if she wins... He would want you to vote for her in the general elections. And we'll speak later on with Jill Colvin. She's a senior political reporter at The Observer and online at politica.com. She'll discuss um, Anthony Weiner's entry, how he's perceived by voters, by the media, and the possibilities of a potential runoff, who the candidates will end up to be one against another, and how it will uh, look like in the general election. Um, right now we will join Michael Fragan. And now Michael Fragan usually is the host on this show, but unfortunately this week he's actually running for re-election. Now, unlike Mike Bloomberg that, is, that ran under uh, term limits, he extended that term limits and ran for a third term, Michael Fragan, who's also running for a third term, actually has something to run on. He has an accomplishment most recently. The Hurricane Sandy, which we all know affected um, the Rockaways, five towns, 
and all the neighborhoods over there. And it's quite competitive, this election. There are three candidates running for the Lawrence Village Board of Trustees. Michael is the incumbent, and he has two guys running against him. One of them is uh, Alex Edelman, and the next is David um, Sideman. So, Michael, it's an honor to be the host this time, and welcome you to the spin class. Thank you, uh, Jacob, and uh, I hope the chair is very comfortable for you. Um, not too comfortable, but it's always an honor to speak to you. All right, you'll get used to it. I, I Look, if Rummy's there, he'll take care of you, and I'm sure you're having a great time. Absolutely. Now, Michael, you're running for third term. Why? Well, Jacob, I really care. I care about the community. I care about, I care about my village, and I, I care about my neighbors. And really what it comes down to, from my perspective, is uh, there's a lot left to do. The village was left very vulnerable in the, in the post-Sandy environment. Uh, even though there's a lot that can be blamed on other agencies, we have to go ahead and think about ourselves what we can do better. There's a lot that we need to do better uh, as a uh, as a uh, as a village, as a community, and as a government to to take care of our residents. You know, we are on the coast, and there's still major issues of flooding here. There's still uh, areas that don't have the streetlights back, and uh, there's a lot of things that I have left to accomplish, and uh, that's uh, you know that's why I'm running and. Uh, you know, thank God uh, I you know, find a lot of support out there. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, it wasn't just that I had to had to run for re-election, but uh, had a professional obligation that uh, kept me away from the city today. So it just was uh, too difficult to get there. And I appreciate you filling in. So uh, now you have two guys who are prominent leaders within the community. People know them. Why is this race competitive? Why? Would people consider not voting for you? Why would they consider voting in one of these two seats? Uh, a guy uh, who is prominent enough to be uh, a good messenger for the community, but consider them over Michael Frank. Well, look, there are there are two seats available for three people. The top two people get voted in, and uh, I think that. The, what, the important thing to keep in mind is that they can, you know, people can vote for, you know, any of the other people. It's not the question of whether, uh, of whether they, you know, shouldn't, uh, have one of those people in office, but, uh, I think that I certainly should be reelected. I think I have a long record of accomplishment, uh, for the community, both inside and outside of the village. And, you know, one thing I, I find a little bit surprising about this race is kind of how quiet, you know, the race has been. Uh, as far as uh, talking about issues, uh, I really have heard very little from the other candidates with regard to issues. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's kind of curious. There hasn't been a debate. Um, the other candidates, Malcolm Siegel actually offered to host the debate on JM and the AM. And we, and and we, offered, we extend, yeah, you we extend our offer for any of the candidates to come onto the show here on the spin class. I'll be glad to be the moderator. Oh, that sounds like fun. Okay, well, I'm in. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, so that, that, that's been a little bit upsetting because historically when there's been a competitive election here in Lawrence, there has been some debates out there. And, uh, that's, you know, I think it's important for the voters to understand that there are issues. There are issues in local government. It's not that, it's not just, uh, 
you know, who you're friends with, but it's actually who you think can accomplish. And, uh, you know, and when I say you, you, it's not really opponents, we don't really talk about opponents because, as I said, three people running for two seats means that the other two guys are also opponents of each other at the same time. So there's a lot, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting dynamics with regards to this race. Um, but, again, I think the race should be about issues and who can deliver for the community. And I've delivered over the years many, many times for the community, you know, at very, very different levels of government. And I think my record uh, speaks for itself. Uh, why would an incumbent call for a debate? Usually the incumbent is reluctant to debate since he's usually the favorite in the race. That's an excellent question, Jacob. But uh, I think, as you know, and as my listeners know who are out there, you know, right now probably – Wondering why I'm not sitting on this side of the uh, on, on your side of the phone is that well, don't you know, don't be too I like confident. To I I like to I like to talk. I like to talk about issues. I like to talk about all kinds of things. Uh, you know, having to do with politics and with government. And I think these things are so important, particularly local governments. We had a local school board race here recently, and uh, and we had a local school board race, and it was decided by 37 votes. Um, so I think everybody has to know how important it is for, for people to come out and vote. They need to, they need to make their voice heard. And those elections traditionally don't attract a lot of people. Now I saw the Jewish Home had a, had a, a editorial or a cover story uh, calling to vote for you at least for one seat. Have you uh, gotten any other major endorsements that would help you this coming Tuesday? Um, yes, well, I certainly I have the endorsements of the local the endorsement of the local fire chiefs um, who have who are supporting me and uh, um, at the Lawrence Cedars Fire Department. Very, I'm a former member. I've certainly been there, uh, been there for the fire department and helping them with uh, a lot of the issues that they've had over the years, as well as uh, uh, some critical infrastructure issues that they need for their building. Um, I've had a number, of, uh, quite a few community leaders have endorsed me, but most importantly. Uh, I think I have a critical endorsement from Assemblyman Phil Goldfeder, as, as you know, is the you know even though he doesn't represent the district, he's the local from uh, Assemblyman, and uh, he's you know very important voice of the community, as well as pretty much all of the school board trustees, all of the serving school board trustees are all supporting me, and the school board actually encompasses more than Lawrence, but up and down the line, Murray Foreman, Asher Mansdorf, uh, Dr. David Sussman, uh, Tova Plout. Michael Hatton, and uh, and I, I don't know Uri Kaufman officially endorsing uh, anybody. I don't think he is endorsing, but uh, you know I know that he's personally supportive. So that's you know, so a lot of the lo- local people are are very supportive of my reelection. Now we know you you, you have a, a personal blog on Patch dot com. Uh, I actually didn't have too much time to read it, so I won't uh, bother the listeners with it. I I would just uh, uh, urge you to. Google Michael Fragan um, and even check him out on Twitter, the full name, at Michael Fragan. But, Michael, how do you bring out, in middle of the blue, how do you bring out your supporters to to actually score a victory? Well, Jacob, as you know, we've both been involved in various elections. It's all about hand-to-hand combat, no matter no matter how local it is, no matter how wide it is. It's all about reaching out to voters on a personal level, having people call each other and say, look, it's important to come out and vote. Uh, it's important to support these people. This is what we care about. We care about our community. And that, that unfortunately, will, will be the message. I mean, that's, you know, that's really a very simple message that I want to impart to people is that, 
it's really important to have a voice. And, you know, look, if you, if you, if you feel that I'm not the right guy for the job, then, you know, you don't vote for me. But you should certainly come out and vote. Uh, you definitely want to have your voice heard because the next time when you have an issue uh, and you're unsatisfied with what government has done, then you're, you only have yourself to blame for, you know, potentially putting in the wrong, the wrong person. And so I think that that's, you know, there's important, there are important things at stake no matter how local it is. Uh, the local government is your first, you know, is your first and closest line of government and actually has a lot of say of, over your quality of life. Now, just to remind listeners, those who are listening from the five towns, the Lawrence uh, Board of Trustees election is the coming Tuesday, June 18, from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. at Lawrence Village Hall, 196 Central Avenue. And we all hope you consider uh, the best candidate based on his personality, Michael, because I know you personal, and also based on the issues, because I hear from you a lot. So I know you have the qualities. I've not spoken to the other guys, so I can't outly endorse you on this show. Uh, we don't endorse usually unless we have a debate and we know what the others stand on. But based on my personal uh, relationship with you, I do see you as a favorite. Okay, well, that's very kind of you, Jacob, <laughs> and I guess uh, that might have something to do with the fact that I gave you my mic tonight, but, uh, you know, I could have said anything you want. I can't go ahead and reach across the phone and, uh, you know, take you out of there. So it was a little bit dangerous and a little bit risky letting you sit there. So, you could, but, uh, but thank you for, thank you very much, and, you know, I appreciate it, and I agree. There definitely should have been a debate. There should have been a free discussion of ideas, and it's unfortunate that didn't happen, and uh, I think that you can't run... Uh, you shouldn't run for office based on, you know, the idea of okay, I'm I'm a popular guy and uh, I'm hoping my friends will come out and vote for me. You should run based on issues and those things that are important, the things that you want to change. Absolutely, Michael Fragan, thank you so much for joining us on the Spin Class and good luck this coming Tuesday. Thanks, Jacob. I appreciate. It. Have a good time for the rest of the show, and I'll be listening. Thank you. Um, we turn gears right now. We shifting gears. To the mayoral race. Now, before we get our guest on the show, I just wanted to to uh, give you some, you know, I like to be a teaser and I like to give you information that you won't read anywhere else. Without dic disclosing any additional information, all I can tell you is you should look out for some movement and developments in the mayoral race in the coming weeks, especially in the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, you will most probably in the next few days, read some stuff or hear some stuff. All I'm giving you is heads up. The male race is not yet over. Now, one of the candidates running, she was high in the polls. She was the favorite. Uh, half a year ago, nobody questioned even her winning this male race. Cruise to victory and become the next mayor of New York City. Unfortunately, other candidates also have strength. Uh, others have jumped in in the last minute, as you know. And right now, the Democrats have seven or maybe eight candidates to choose from September 10. Who is the favorite right now? Well, according to the polls, there's no favorite. Christian Quinn has plummeted from 39% early January to 24% in May. Anthony Weiner, who just entered the race, started by 15 points. He went up to 19. 
and based on his campaign stops and appearances over the past three weeks, I wouldn't see him going down. I would actually see him rise a few more points. Bill de Blasio, Bill Thompson, John Lou, everybody has their base, their strength, and everybody has their personal ties and relationships with the Jewish community and the Orthodox Jewish community in particular. Now, Ezra Friedlander, as you may know, he's the CEO of the Friedlander Group. He's a lobbyist. He's known very well in the political world. He's an influential Orthodox Jew who decided to be the first, if you may, the Nachshon Ben Aminudov, for those who would support Christine Quinn, and penned an op-ed on Vusenayas, which is making the rounds online and in discussions in shuls, to consider voting for Christine Quinn based on what he sees are her qualities. He's not undecided. He's decided to vote for Christine Quinn, and he's asking you to consider that too. Why is that, Ezra? Uh, thank you uh, for having me on. First, I'd like to uh, add something to what you just uh, elaborated, that the, yes, indeed, the election, the polls are, uh, are, are kind of in shift, in flux, but there was a recent article in the New York Times, I'm sure you saw it, that uh, essentially predicted that Chris Quinn will win the uh, Democratic and ultimately will win the Democratic nomination based on the uh, last five or so Democratic primaries that whoever leads uh, the polls in in a general pattern ends up winning the nomination. So I just want you to, uh, have you seen that? I have read that, and since 2012 presidential elections, I do not predict and I would not base my assumption on any of these predictions since I was sure that Mitt Romney is next president and Barack Obama won. Uh, You supported him, so I won't get into a a debacle now about that. Actually, I I need to correct. Actually, I did not support President Obama publicly. I'm not saying that I didn't didn't vote for him, but uh, I did not uh, endorse the president. Okay. I I I take it back. Yeah. Now, you write in the op-ed, and I read, for me, the turning point in deciding to write this op-ed was precisely when Speaker Quinn decried the pandering of other candidates. It was precisely what she was not promising that convinced me that when she does make a commitment, you can bank on it. You continue, I've known Quinn since the earliest days in New York City Council prior to becoming Speaker, and her record exhibits that she is sincere and dependable. Now, I would ask you this. Why do you see Christine Quinn as somebody that is not pandering because at a recent debate, she stood up and defended Mayor Bloomberg's regulation on Matsitsa Bepe, for instance, while the other candidates, although not everybody promised to overturn it, expressed dismay at the mayor's approach and she was the one candidate that stood up and said I defend Mayor Bloomberg's regulation, I'll stand by it and that you call not pandering. But when it comes to the UFT when it comes to the unions when it comes to her base don't you think 
that she is like all of the candidates? Why is she above the fray? Why is she not pandering when others are doing the same, seeking support of all the unions and all the black votes to actually be successful in this race? So my answer is as follows. A, when, if you uh, follow Chris Quinn's approach to to the campaign, you will never see her saying things that are almost impossible to deliver on. And even in what people would think are her bastions of support, you have people that like her, you have people that uh, that uh, uh, like her a little bit less. You sense that there is a uh, it's 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 one size fits all in terms of how I would de- how I will decide to conduct my campaign for mayor. And I look at the record. How did that person perform in elective office? I really don't give much credence to what a person promises to do once they're elected. I'd like to see what was their record while in office. Chris Quinn, as speaker, was an exceptional, uh, uh, an exceptional friend to the Jewish community. Every Kojo, every JCC, every council member who serves the Jewish community will tell you Chris Quinn has been a friend. So I look at her track record. It doesn't mean that the answer will always be yes. It doesn't mean the answer will always be music to our ears. But it means that you have a person who, by and large, has a moderate, middle-of-the-road approach to governing, understands how to be sensitive, yet understands how to be strong. And if you mesh those two, uh, those two uh, character traits, I think that makes for a very effective mayor. And when someone gets up and tells you exactly what you want to hear, I can't put, I can't place any value on that. I just can't. Now you say uh, politics is not in bismedrish, meaning to say that you shouldn't um, look at a candidate based on their values or personal life. But when you look at the Orthodox community, and I'm pressing you on this because I want you to emphasize why you decided that she is good for our community. If you look at Matitsa Bepe, she opposes opposes Matitsa Bepe, defends Mayor Bloomberg on this regulation. She basically said, look, uh, should the Department of Health have have done a better job of reaching out to the community? Should they have... uh, 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 welcome more input, yes. She, the last line was, look, it's in place, I'd leave it like that. that would, that's, her, that's her position. The others, besides, I think, John Liu and Eric Salagato, uh, uh, and I don't even think John Liu said he'll rescind it. I don't think he did. He, uh, he did say that publicly. Okay. And Anthony Weiner said he reserves the right to he appeal res- it. He reserved that. That doesn't mean anything to me. So the others have basically hemmed and hawed and said the same thing. In Yiddish, we have an expression, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, this is what I appreciate about Chris Quinn. She's direct. She tells you exactly her position. She has a track record to back it up with. That, to me, tells me I'm a serious person. I understand what it means to be the mayor of New York City. It's a big city. You need a strong character, and I want a strong mayor. I may not like every position that Mayor Quinn would, would take, but you know what? At the end of the day, if you have strong leadership, you have a strong city, you have a successful, uh, 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 you have a successful tenure in office, and that means the citizens 
can go about their daily lives without worrying, do we have a future in New York City? I don't want a mayor that, to satisfy me, will say exactly what I want to hear. They'll try to accommodate me. Ten minutes later, they'll go to another community, say something diametrically opposed to what they just told me, change their policies, wishy-washy. I don't know where I stand. And I think she has that sensitive touch to, 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 to really be able to relate to our unique challenges. And I look again at her track record. And her track record has been nothing short of exemplary. Aren't you preaching to a deaf crowd? I mean, look at the Orthodox community. They selected Bob Turner over their brother, the Orthodox Jew, David Weprin. They voted in David Sorobin in a special election over Lou Fiddler, who is known to be a friend of the Jewish community. And, you know, you see even all these, uh, I mean, there are blogs out there, and there's talk about uh, a movement uh, against Christian Queen within the community. Don't you think that you're, you're basically reaching out to a crowd which won't accept your argument? I can't answer you because every campaign is different. But the two the two scenarios, the two recent elections were were in districts where Orthodox Jews could have and did have uh, an impact. In a citywide election, it's almost impossible for the community to be able to have that sort of influence like the Turner race or the uh, Starobin uh, Fiddler race. And again, I'm not an expert in those two districts, so I'll defer to you uh, on, on, on how you uh, analyze this. But in terms of a citywide primary, I don't think we have the numbers to dictate. And B, on the issues that everyone is so up in arms, all the candidates, have identical issues. On the social issues, you will not find daylight between de Blasio, Lou, Thompson, and Quinn. As a matter of fact, Quinn is probably perceived as being more conservative on the economic issues. For example, Bill, Bill de Blasio is on record saying he wants to raise taxes on millionaires. Again, maybe, there, maybe we have no millionaires in the community. But I get a little bit nervous when a mayor says, I want to raise taxes. Again, I don't want to get into, into that whole discussion. But in terms of the social issues, you don't have daylight uh, between any of the candidates running for mayor of New York City who have a reasonable shot of winning. So all you're saying is, to summarize, you're asking the community to give equal opportunity to Christine Quinn to be viewed as a viable candidate as the others are seeking for the Orthodox Jewish vote. Absolutely, absolutely. And this morning, and I opened up my inbox, I got a nice few emails of people telling me, look, I saw your op-ed on VIN, I give you uh, credit for having the guts to write it, I agree with you. So I sense there's a, there's, there's a majority, not a majority perhaps. The silent majority, you would size, call. Not the, there's, a, there's a sizable part of the community that doesn't want to be uh, 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 held hostage by by uh, 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 by a certain viewpoint that dictates that this issue is paramount to every other issue. I don't think we're monolithic. I don't think anyone can claim to speak in the name of, the, of, of, of rabbis, of rabbis, of rabbunim. I think people do make their own decisions. But I think that for someone to put Quinn and say, uh, uh, you're not under consideration, I think it's a fallacy. 
I don't think that that's in the best interest of the community. And frankly, I think she will do very well, or at least reasonable well, in, in, in significant parts of the Jewish community. Again, if people have an open mind, they will see Chris Quinn as a friend. They will see Chris Quinn as someone who will be attentive to the needs of the Orthodox Jewish community, look at her track record as council speaker, and judge her by that. We'll, we'll take your word for it, and we'll continue to monitor the race and see what inroads she continues to make, and uh, hope to talk to you shortly. Thank you so much, Ezra, for coming on the spin class. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Good luck. Our next guest is a colleague of mine. Uh, you know, I, I'm also a reporter, so I find her as a friend. Jill Colvin, she's a senior political reporter for The Observer and writes on Politica. She covers the race for mayor and others included. Jill, it's an honor to have you on Spin Class. Thank you so much for having me. Now, what's the latest? Uh, uh, I mentioned in the beginning of the show the, the New York Times article that was very critical about Anthony Weiner's congressional record. Now, we know Anthony Weiner has a way of uh, brushing it off, but do you think that looking at his congressional record would have an impact on his rise that at least he had in the first three weeks since he entered the race? Yeah, I absolutely do think it's going to have an impact. At this point, I mean, Wiener has been the fresh new candidate, and there has essentially been media hysteria about his entry. I mean, uh, you know, dozens of TV cameras following him around as he interacts with voters, as he attends various forums around the city. There's just been sort of an obsession with him and the way that he has managed his reentry to political life. But up until this point, we've really been focusing on how is it that he deals with the the Twitter scandal that forced him to resign two years ago? Does he talk about it? How do the voters confront him? Do they do they care about it? Are they asking about real issues? And Wiener has really tried to pivot the conversation to this idea book that he's been that he's released and, and says he wants to talk about the issues. Now, coming up against that is this very long record, both in the city council and in Congress. And if people are going to seriously be considering him as a candidate, they want to go back and they want to find out, well, was he really effective? We all remember him, you know, shouting on TV screens. But what was he really doing those years in Washington? And I think it's an indication that people are now starting to take him seriously as a candidate. Do you have the impression that people like... uh Actually, they like Anthony Weiner as a personality. He performs well on stage. He he he's uh, considered uh, you know an energetic candidate. Do you think people take him so seriously that they would actually go back and look at his record and consider backing him or not based on his record? I mean, right now he is a celebrity. When he walks down the street, people scream at him, people approach him, right. and um, you know he does have a lot of goodwill from his performance on those TV screens when he was in Congress. People see him as a progressive leader, and you know dozens and dozens of people I've spoken to, um, you know, at parades at various events, say, you know, this is somebody I'm willing to give him a chance. There, there's a deep sense among many voters, and of course, keep in mind that your average voter isn't really paying that much attention yet. 
that we uh, uh, released a poll this week that the observer conducted that showed that basically most people have absolutely no idea who these candidates are. They aren't following the race other than knowing who Celebrity Wiener is. But but putting that aside, um, you know, people people tend to respond to him positively when they see him. Uh, the issue is that when you actually look to the professional polls that have been conducted, um, an awful lot of people really don't like him. His unfavorable ratings are very, very high. And so while he may be popular among people who like him, um, he's got a huge uh, hill that he needs to, to trek um, to actually you know, become the candidate that, that I think majority of New Yorkers will consider. Isn't it uh, late enough in the game? I mean, we, if you speak of, of January, uh, February, March, and you say it's still early in the game, people haven't tuned in, people don't know the candidates. We are actually in petition season. Mm-hmm. It's already June. They conducted maybe 50 mayoral forums. Every candidate was on TV. Every candidate is in the headlines, is sometime in the paper, in the news, in the blogs, in social media. So people have actually heard about the candidates. Don't you think that the reason why Wiener is dominating and the reason why so many people don't know so much of the other candidates is because people are not excited about the field and people see, okay, we don't, we are not interested in this race because everybody's the same, everybody is dry, nobody is impressive. Let's go with the celebrity. Let's go with somebody that makes some action. I mean, I think you make a very, very good point that there are a lot of people who just are not excited by these candidates. Their names they've heard again and again. It's very difficult um, when you're focusing on the Democrats to find major policy differences between them. And so somebody like Wiener does shake up the field. It's somebody you know. Um, but, but I mean, I think it's very clear. Walk down the street right now and stop 10, 20 people. And I know that we, we, we live, we breathe this stuff. We're at the forums all the time. Um, but, but at this point, I don't think it's something that the average New Yorker has thought all that seriously about. We're still, we're going into the summer. I mean, candidates are just still jumping into the race. Um, not not the race for mayor, but but some of the, uh, uh, the down Don't, don't be so sure. Um, and, and I think that it's really, we need to wait a little bit. We need to let the candidates marinate. Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, come August when they start rolling out their TV advertising, um, which hasn't really started yet, when they actually start spending their money on voter outreach, then I think you're going to see some major shifting that, that it's very difficult to predict at this point. When you talk about major shifting, uh, do you uh, pinpoint on a specific candidate because – until Wiener entered the race, the overall notion was Christine Quinn will not make it in the first round. She will be forced to face another challenger in a runoff. But the assumption was either Bill de Blasio, either Bill Thompson would emerge as uh, in second place to challenge Quinn in a runoff. Now, since Wiener has entered... We haven't seen any shift from uh, – uh, actually, he took away um, some votes from Bill de Blasio. He's taking away something from Bill Thompson just based on Bill Thompson's performance so far. So do you see a scenario when you talk about shifts that, uh, for instance, Christine Quinn won't make the runoff or Anthony Weiner would come in third and Bill de Blasio or Bill Thompson would get more support of him, and how about John Liu? How do you see that shifting gear? Well, let me say that it's 
when you talk about the polls, it's, it's very difficult to judge right now because the most recent poll that we have came out just as Wiener was jumping into the race. And so, um, you know, it came out before voters really had a chance to hear him, um, to watch his conduct on the trail. So I think we, we need to wait to see the next couple of polls coming out in the next couple of weeks to see, you know, how that how that's changed. Um, I think you talk to, to consultants, you talk to experts, um, and this sense is that Bill Thompson is being very underrated at this time. Um, they expect him to surge at some point later this summer. Uh, but Anthony Weiner definitely, I think according to most people, ensures that there is going to be a runoff and, and changes the dynamics. They, you know, a lot of people thought that it was going to be Quinn and Thompson, and that that was going to be the runoff. And with Anthony Weiner thrown in there, I've heard a lot of people say, well, maybe it's going to be Quinn and uh, and Weiner. I've heard some people say maybe David Thompson and Weiner, if, if Christine Quinn does something that, that angers voters, if her poll numbers continue to slide, um, it, it just introduces a whole new level of uncertainty. Let's talk about possibilities. Uh, what happens when... Um, we all know that uh, if Quinn faces Thompson, Thompson is the favorite based on his on 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 his base, on the minority base, which is a majority in the city, and also all those candidates who don't like uh, Christine Quinn would likely back Thompson. So let's put that aside. How about uh, Quinn against Weiner, or for instance, let's talk about a scenario where Quinn does not make the runoff. It's Weiner against Bill De Blasio. Well, I think that, that I think any scenario that features Wiener in the runoff is going to be a very nasty competition. Um, we know from from history that primaries just tend to be more aggressive. It's one candidate against the other. They no longer have to worry about not angering people who they want may want to uh, to align with them come come runoff time. Um, and so I think we can expect something to be kind of a no no holds barred, um, very very aggressive face off. Um, and then we'll find out. I mean, if it's Quinn versus Wiener, does that mean that suddenly new pictures are discovered um, from some of Wiener's, you know, sexting partners, uh, you know, for, from back two years ago? Um, does it become a, a women versus against Anthony Wiener? Um, to what extent do, you know, Bill de Blasio's, I said you didn't want to consider this, but but we have to think about um, what happens to Thompson supporters, what happens to Bill de Blasio's supporters, what happens to the unions that are backing them in a, in a runoff. We're going to have a, a smaller pool of voters. Does that mean that the union endorsements are going to be more important? How are they going to choose between those candidates? Interesting. Now, uh, let's say, for instance, Quinn or Wiener or Thompson make it in the runoff and they face a Republican like Joe Loder. We've seen, I know he's a long shot, he doesn't. He, he can be competitive, he doesn't have the money to spend, he doesn't have the name recognition, but he's viewed as a serious guy, he has experience in, 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 in city government, he's, he knows the issues. Do you think that you would see the race becoming a little more competitive than it is right now when you place a generic Democrat against a generic Republican? I think it will absolutely become more competitive, um, but that doesn't mean that the Republican candidate will have 
much of a chance. Um, the problem with Joe Loda as well is, you know, people were very excited about his entry. The business community was rallying behind him. Um, you know, people were very excited to have somebody who had, you know, higher name recognition than than most potential candidates that were talked about, other than uh, than maybe Ray Kelly running on the Republican line. Um, but but so far. Uh, you know, he has not necessarily been the most effective candidate. He's gotten into a little trouble. Um, he, he made a pretty big gaffe where he equated, you know, Port Authority uh, police officers to mall cops. Um, he's been relying very heavily on Rudy Giuliani, which plays well in some communities, doesn't necessarily play well in other communities. Uh, his decision to, I guess, the MTA's decision when he was still in charge there um, to increase the uh, the tolls on the Verrazano Narrow Bridge is not playing well with Staten Island voters. And so I think he's, you know, still got to find his footing. And then we can see how palatable he's going to be to independent voters, even to Democrat voters. And we haven't even addressed the third party candidate, which is Adolfo Carrion. How much does he take away from a potential Democratic nominee? I mean, he argues that he is going to have great play. He is the only uh, Latino in the race right now, and that is obviously, as we learned from, you know, the, the Obama race, um, you know, huge burgeoning population that has, you know, is really kind of coming into its own in terms of political voice. So he is really counting on that community to come out and support him. Um, you know, they believe that uh, kind of, you know, let the Democrats and let the, the Republicans tear each other apart and then come, you know, September, October, they can really make their case. I think that it is a complete long shot candidacy. Um, I, I think there's very little chance of, of that happening. All right, interesting input, and I hope to see you uh, on the trail. Uh, always a pleasure speaking to you, Jill, and uh, if uh, you guys out there want to follow Jill, I mean, first, I, I want to say something about you, Jill, which I find uh, uh, very uh important to follow you because other can uh, other reporters basically uh go to events they pick up a in uh, incident or two report on it and that's it and you actually listen to the radio you go to events and you uh you know you put the transcript in front of the reader's eye so somebody that is as at work and sneaking out and doesn't uh, doesn't have the earphones to listen to a youtube clip or read analysis, just want to see the transcript, you provide it. And then I would, I would add also your colleagues, uh, Ross Barkin and Colin Campbell, who are my favorites. So it's always an honor to talk to you, and you can always follow Jill's writing on Politica.com and in the New York Observer. Thank you so much for coming on the spin class. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And our last guest is... I would consider a friend of mine. I've interviewed him many times on previous uh, radio programs that I hosted uh, on blogs and met him in person. Now, uh, we disagree on a lot of issues, but unfortunately, uh, um, I know that he loves my Twitter feed. So I have to consider him as a friend. Assemblyman Rory Lanceman, who is running in Queens for City Council this year is on the line. Thank you so much, Assemblyman, for coming on the spin class. It's always a pleasure, and, and I consider you a friend, too. Now, why City Council, your Assemblyman? 
Well, actually, I'm not in the assembly anymore. I did not run for re-election uh, last year, so I I did three full right. terms in, in the assembly. Um, but you know, you might ask, why would someone at this moment in time choose to run uh, for election to the city council rather than than re-election to the assembly? And for me, the the act, the fact that virtually all of city government is going to be turning over from the mayor on down, including about half of the city council means that someone like myself with a, with a good legislative background um, and a lot of support can come into the council and hopefully be able to have a significant impact in, in shaping the city's priorities for the next uh, four to eight years. So it, it's a very interesting time to be coming into city government, and, and I'm excited about it. Now, you ran uh, unsuccessfully in Queens against uh, Grace Mang and others, uh, you didn't make it to the Congress, although you were at some point before she entered the race considered a favorite. Now, uh, what made you feel that, okay, people didn't want me in the Congress because they found a better candidate, that candidate had a black vote, and she was at the end um, victorious. Uh, so city council, maybe they would accept me? Is it the same district even? Well, every race is its own race, um, and every race is run in a particular time and in a particular context. Um, when I ran for the assembly in 2006, um, I won a Democratic primary with 76% of the vote and, and then the general election, of course. Um, when I ran for Congress, um, that was a different uh, time and a different uh, context. Um, the the council district that I'm running for now, which I've lived in pretty much my whole life, um, about 40% of it is my old assembly district. Um, about 70% of it overlaps with the congressional district. And and even though I did lose the congressional race um, overall, and by a by a healthy margin, I'll I'll, I'll acknowledge, um, I did actually win within the boundaries of the 24th council district. So. Each race is its own race in its own context. Uh, this year, I'm happy to have the support of the Queens Democratic Party, um, so many labor unions, uh, more than I can I can mention. And, of course, most importantly, I think it's fair to say um, virtually the entire civic and, and community leadership within the, within the 24th District. So I'm optimistic we're going to have a good result in September and, and, and a good result in November. You have a primary, but one of your uh, opponents drop out of the race. Uh, do you consider that a boost to your candidacy, uh, ultimately uh, granting you victory in September? Honestly, and I've been in the political process for, for a long time, even though I've, I was only in, in elective office for, uh, for three terms, it, it would be hard to imagine a, a race going any better than the one that, that we've been running even before um, one of the other candidates uh, decided not to run this week. I mean, like I said, we've, we've got the support of the Queens Democratic Party. We have the support of the labor movement. We have the support of the community, the civic association. Um, and uh, we've maxed out on, on the fundraising. So uh, I, I am absolutely confident of, of having a, a big victory in September. Um, and that was that was true last week, and, and it's true this week as well. You, you have been a long time on the trail, and for those listeners who may reside in Queens or even in your council district, what do you see as 
the on, on camp, campaign trail when you meet voters or you go out to speak at civic meetings and uh, synagogues and so on what do you see is most concerning to voters is it the overall issues that are uh, talked about in the mayoral race in in, in city wide races or is it specifically uh, as it pertains to your community and to your district People want two things from their their elected officials, and it's particularly true of their of their council members. Um, they want someone who is going to be an advocate for them in navigating this vast government bureaucracy of ours. Whether it's uh, getting a stop sign on their corner, or getting their kid placed in the local school, or getting more police coverage at a particular location, those are all city agencies, and they're run. Um, by the city, they're overseen by the city council, and they expect their council person to be their advocate uh, and make sure that city is doing what it's supposed to be doing. But the second job of, of a council person, and, and this comes up uh, and is the focus of, of uh, as much conversation as anything else when I speak with voters, whether individually or at a town hall meeting, um, is the big picture. And that's the same big picture that the mayor is looking at because the mayor, in partnership with the council, shapes that, that big picture for the city. And the number one big picture issue for voters, at least in my area, and I bet this is true for most areas, is just how uh, difficult it is to make it in New York City economically, how unaffordable life is becoming or has become for ordinary people in the city, whether it's the cost of housing or transportation or energy or food or educating your kids. Um, everything is just so much more expensive in, in New York City, especially relative to how um, how marginally or nominally wages have, have gone up in the last uh, 10, 20 years. That's what is really uh, what people really want you to to, to focus on in, in a big picture way, try to have an impact on it. How do you see uh, city politics uh, different than statewide politics? Well, at the core, voters expect their elected representatives, whether it's a city, state, or federal issue, uh, federal level, to, to tackle the same core issues. So, for example, when I ran for the assembly, I talked about lots of things and worked on lots of things, but tried to always focus on, on meat and potato economic issues. Um, when I ran for Congress uh, in the Democratic primary, uh, talked about the same thing as, as well. But how one approaches those issues and what impact one can have on those issues is different at the different levels of, of government. So, for example... At the state level, um, one is very involved in tax policy, um, very involved in um, the things that, that state government does as opposed to city government. So, and I, and I mentioned earlier, for example, what people have an expectation of their city council person in particular. Almost all of the government that people interact with here in New York City is city government. All the agencies are run by the city. Many of the federal programs are administered by the city. So being a city, city representative means making city government run better. 
And that's a big difference than being a state representative, which involves um, being involved in more uh, uh, and, and broader uh, legislative policy concepts rather than overseeing how well city government does its job. Talking about your legislative achievements in assembly, uh, you've been a great advocate for Jewish causes. We all know uh, recently, uh, I mean, not uh, too long ago, you passed, uh, you helped pass uh, an Iran Act which uh, called on some companies to boycott uh, Iran companies' uh, sanctions on Iran um, for pursuing their nuclear um, weapons. What what can you do more as a city councilman, and where do you see the sanctions going? You know, uh, you know we, we are almost reaching the deadline that Prime Minister Netanyahu outlined uh, at the UN in September. Uh, what can be done? I'm speaking about yourself. What can you do in the city council on that matter? Well, that, well, that's interesting, and it kind of dovetails with your previous question about what it means to be a city legislator as opposed to a state legislator as opposed to a, a, a federal legislator. So, you know, trying to be trying to serve the Jewish community well has always been a, a core part of of my role as elected official. So, if I looked at the, the body of work that I accomplished accomplished in um, in Albany as it relates to the Jewish community, it would be um, Trying to treatment for equal treatment for Jewish education, um, combating terrorism, and supporting Israel, and 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 combating Iran's development of nuclear weapons is is part of of supporting Israel. So, for example, at the state level, with Speaker Silver's leadership, we were able to prohibiting the state from engaging in certain economic activity with um, actors in Iran that were involved in Iran's nuclear program. We can do the same thing at the city level. And as the state and the country tighten that, that sanctions noose, um, we need to make sure that we in the city are, are doing the same thing. You know, the city has a pension fund. The city um, buys billions of dollars in goods and services every year. Uh, the city is engaged in, in, in commerce just like the state is. And we need to make sure that the city is, is keeping pace with squeezing the Iranian regime as much as possible so that, God willing, we get to the point where Iran decides enough is enough and they abandon their nuclear program without uh, resorting to the kind of military force that um, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and President Obama have said um, you know, they're prepared to do if that's what it comes to. Final question I can't resist. Uh... You're running in a citywide race, or we also have mayoral candidates running in a primary. You're part of the Jewish community in Queens. We know Anthony Weiner uh, was at some point representative of your district. Who do you support in the Democratic primary for mayor, if I may ask? Well, you, you certainly may ask, um, but I am, and, and forgive me if this sounds uh, political, but it's not. I, I am focused completely on my own race, number one, <clears throat> and that, believe me, takes a lot of time, even even though it's going amazingly well. And at the mayoral level, there are a number of people who are running who are, who are good candidates, who would make a good mayor, 
and who I know personally, either because I've worked with them when I was in the assembly or as a civic or community leader. So um, I haven't made an endorsement in the mayor's race. Um, I like a number of the, the, the candidates who are running. Uh, ultimately, I'm, I am going to I am going to vote for mayor, so I'm going to have to make a decision about who I. I'm, like I'm going to gonna have to run after you for that for that headline. Uh, um, Assemblyman Rory Lansman, I'm so sorry we're running out of time. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, and the best of luck in your race. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, as always. And this, we conclude the spin class with this note. Thank you so much for listening, and you can follow us on Twitter at the spin class. Next is the great of the greatest my great friend Nahum Siegel stay tuned <laughs>